0: Welcome to Authentic Influence with host Anthony Chansamuth, the show where we get real and share the stories and struggles, strategies and tactics of successful influencers and entrepreneurs so that you too can take action to create the life and business that you choose. And now over to Anthony.
1: Hey, hey! welcome everyone. Welcome to Authentic Influence uh, Live. And we we're back into the live. It's been a while since we did the last interview. Uh, I guess I've been hiding uh, somewhere in a cave because of the pandemic. And now it's time to uh, reconnect. And actually in Sydney, it's been, I don't know what it's like being over there in New Zealand, Daniel. But for over here, it's been a hundred day lockdown uh, in Sydney. And then we've just come out of it two weeks ago. So um, I'm feeling more like a human being
0: now. Um, <laughs> Auckland is on like day 80, I think. Oh, right. Because um, they're struggling to control cases there. But the rest of the country has been open for the last 60 or so. Before that, we had music festivals and everything, you know? Oh, wow. It was bizarre. Last summer was just as normal. Yeah. So we've been lucky. Well. There you go. I should have been over there. Okay, so uh,
1: today's topic we're going to jump into uh, content clusters and how do you use content clusters to grow your traffic? Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on in CRO and some other piece, bits and pieces around um, direct response and, and all these sort of things. So to introduce my guest, I have Daniel Daines-Hutt, Hut, uh, who is the content master at Convert.com, uh, and really his goal is to take complex cro topics so for those of you who don't get cro it's conversion rate optimization uh take those topics and break them down so uh, you not only understand them but you can take action on them and, and use it to lift your business uh he's had articles in the top 10 of all time i'll really love this on inbound which is a if you're in the b2b space you definitely know all about inbound uh, and top articles for a number of years now on growth hackers um so when he's not writing for convert he's also teaching people how to write more effective content and leveraging it you know uh, via detailed distribution methods at ampmycontent.com. so that's ampmycontent.com. and we'll share all the links in the show notes so you won't miss out on those and uh, he's also an author so content marketing for traffic and sales highly optimized title already uh (laughs) he's gonna grab a copy
0: of the book there it is So this is the the very first one they printed, and they printed the wrong file size. So it weighs 2.8 pounds, but wow. the print spacing is like 18 point for a blog post. So yeah, <laughs> I have this hilarious blooper version, but yeah. that's I love that. You could use it as a joke and send it to a client and be like, here you go. <laughs> it, just, it looks so authoritative because it's this massive book, and I'm like, it could be a third of the size, basically. <laughs> I think it's about thirty thousand words. it's a big book, but um it doesn't need to be That's pretty epic week. man. All right, well, let's go
1: jump into just your involvement with content, how you got into i guess you know
0: just writing content and, and and learning all about traffic. when did that begin for you? so um I'm an Englishman living in New Zealand. I'm a permanent resident now uh fell in love with the place immediately, but I was quite old when I came over here. And so like struggling to get working holiday visas and stuff like that. So I was looking for loopholes and I set up a clothing company because if you're an entrepreneur at the time, you could apply for like a different visa if your business earned X amount of cash. Set that up. That did ridiculously well. I was in a bunch of retail stores. I sold thousands of units of like just a single design and stuff. Um, People started asking me how I was doing that. So then I started doing consulting for e-commerce and stuff. I was doing paid ads because I was doing SEO for these uh companies but they weren't really paying off because even though I was getting traffic to their sites they didn't have many assets on there. Mm. You know like these small businesses who don't have a case study or a sales page or anything like that so it's just it's like having a retail store with no staff, you know, kind of thing <laughs> or um and so I started looking at paid traffic for them because it ironically it was cheaper and we could kind of Do offers in the ads. I, I did one for free for a company called body glove. And then I wrote a case study about that because I did a lot of paid ads and psychology and stuff. And then that case study went insane. Um, got $3 million in client requests in two weeks, about 50,000 views. It's it's the one that's like in the top 10. Um, and then from that people get to asking me how I write and that's how I got into writing and teaching people writing because it was all my systems and stuff that I used to train staff. So, yeah, it's been this crazy journey. Like entrepreneurship is never a straight line, right? <laughs> and all because you're trying to get a visa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. <laughs> and did you end up getting the visa? Yes. I am um, now a permanent resident, and this year I can apply for citizenship. Oh,
1: fantastic. That's, uh, that's a brilliant case study in itself. <laughs> On
0: right? Ways, ways you use entrepreneurship to, you know, Hit your life goals it was actually written up as a case study for a um, a, a company that helps people get into the country and get visas oh, and stuff it was it was written as a case study as like a like a success story there you go not Absolutely. that they did anything to do with it but there was an interview so <laughs>
1: oh man that's crazy um right, we'll we'll come back to the actual the mechanics of the case study and the campaign uh because i know listeners are going to go well how did you do that daniel all right so we'll come back to that um but let's talk about just your uh, you're representing convert um as part of this conversation can you tell us a bit about the company um what uh, i guess how long you've been there and, and and um you know what what's your i guess key function and, and responsibility as the okay. content master
0: So Convert.com is, or Convert Experiences, is an AB CRO testing tool. So if you want to test two versions of a thing, like Groundhog Day, to find out which version works better, that's what the tool does. And I've been reading their site for about nine years since I started working for myself to get the visa. Um, And I've been working for them now since February of last year, about 10 months or so, something like that. Uh, My role is basically just taking complex article topics and writing them so they rank for one thing, but also so that they provide the answer and value and quality and things like that so that the audience can read them, be empowered and want to take action and stuff like that. So, um, writing blog posts, basically, um, I do apologize. I've I've cut out coffee like the last three days. So my focus might go off a little bit or it might go on tangents. Yeah. I think I I answered the question fully. Yeah, you did. You did. Yep. Yep.
1: That, that, that makes all sense. Um, I, yeah, it's so important. So this is conversations that I'm having and I'm sure you've had many, many times with different people. Um, it's just, it's one thing to generate traffic and then there's another to actually convert that traffic. Uh, and you know, someone who can, and. it's the different skill sets and so if you're assuming that someone can you know do something get onto tiktok and go viral and bring you a ton of traffic that doesn't guarantee it's going to bring you sales
0: uh, i actually looked at tiktok recently as a as a so my i i I work at convert everyone who works as a freelancer super cool Mm. company do a lot for the environment really care about people things like that that's why most people work there anyway um I was looking at TikTok because I also run a blog that talks about distribution and things. And I saw someone on there who talks about content marketing. They were getting about a hundred thousand views per video. And I was like, okay, well, this is pretty insane. There's no competition, things like that. But when I checked the traffic and the product they were selling, they got four visitors that month from TikTok. So like half a million uh views on TikTok that one month, four clicks. Kind of thing, so, like it really does matter about the assets that you have on your site and how they connect with how you're bringing people in and things like that. you know you can't um just do absolutely anything. I had one person apply for a program where I teach writers and stuff, and they were getting something like two million visitors a month, and they were converting less than half a percent. Something that's like that, true. um, just because they focused on the traffic that they could get and not they don't have the particular assets to do the job,
1: right? Yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. And and whilst we're on just a bit of a sidebar here, what's your take on TikTok for B2B or for SaaS? Uh, is honestly, it worth investment?
0: I haven't looked into it too much, so I used to be. When I started out as an entrepreneur, I was super interested in so many different channels and things like that. And so nowadays I have set goals and focus and I just ignore everything else. So I kind of looked at TikTok for Marvel videos because I'm a bit of a Marvel nerd Um Love things it. like that. Um, and I checked out this person because a friend of mine is doing really well. She does. Um, mm. What's it called? Kind of like palm reading and things like that. And her videos do really well and drive traffic to her so particular audiences might do really well on there in particular business types things like that i imagine e-commerce could do incredibly well on there because you know it's um you get put in front of the right audience the right demographic with a call to action you know there's, there's not much friction to buying if they see an outfit that someone's wearing and they want to get it they'll click through and buy but I have to imagine in B2B and stuff like that, it might take a longer cycle and you might not get the clicks. For now, myself, I'm just focusing on YouTube, like uh, yourself, and um, blog content and paid traffic, so paid distribution of content. Those are the only things that I really focus on. But yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and I, I I agree with e has as well, being a, a good, um, it's a good testing ground. I've got a, cl- a friend who actually runs a, like a, she what does she sell she sells strollers for moms um and so she does these fun things with maybe I think her kids are in them some of those videos and and they've gone viral and and that's actually bringing leads for her e-com biz. um yeah. but um like you say probably not the place I know there are a lot of brands trying to test it out right now um, the only yeah. people
0: I see doing well are the influencers on there who are getting paid by marketing companies like yeah. 20 grand to do a mention or something like mm-hmm. that and I'm sure because it's it's Instagram, basically. It's video Instagram, TikTok kind of thing. Yeah. But it's got a huge audience base of the younger generation. So that's why, like, if you if it was fidget spinners, if it was a couple of years ago, <laughs> I bet you could spend, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and recoup that on there. But um, it's definitely worth testing. Like, when any new channel comes out and it's got adoption like that and it's your audience, it's worth testing. But I haven't played around with it myself, really yeah, yeah.
1: Fair enough. all right well let's talk about what you do do really well so um in your uh sort of we asked you a few questions when you sort of submitted your deep information to us um one of those sort of things that stand out to me is this concept of branding and knowing your people um mm. and how that's important to the success of convert um and also just to the work that you do can you sort of Let's dive into that um, and let's talk about brand because I think that can be a very nebulous concept for a lot of people, a lot of businesses. Uh, yeah. So what's your sort of definition of that and understanding of, of what is brand and how does it relate to audience?
0: So this is my personal opinion and convert themselves might uh, be slightly different or um, my boss might have a slightly different idea on it. I think we're on the same wavelength for me. All sales, all marketing really is audience research, understanding and then connecting with that audience so that you can not only have messages that connect, but products and things that connect as well. So brand is just trying to align with that and create a company um, that that fits your audience. So at Convert, we started implementing GDPR and privacy and things like that into our testing tool way before it was even... Um, something that people were talking about because for us we really care about people the environment uh user privacy things like that now we're a testing tool so it doesn't really align with anything that much um you know at least you know that your data is safe with us and your audience's data is safe with us but the really cool thing is we're attracting companies who also have that same belief And we're attracting customers who have that same belief. So um, I think really that is the intersect of branding. It is this genuine, authentic um, goal that connects ideally with your audience and what you produce in some way. You know, if that makes sense, without waffling too much about it.
1: No, no, it does make sense. Uh, You also say that um, if you're, if you're missing one of the two, if you're missing knowing what your brand is and also, you know, or either you're missing knowing who your people are, um, yeah. then you, you're going to have issues. Um, so a common question I get is how, how can you better understand who your people are? Like what, what are you doing with whether it's in CRO or whether it's in research? Um, how do you sort of take us to the beginning of a campaign perhaps before you even write the content, what are you doing to kind of establish, this
0: is what I should be writing about and how I should be writing about it. So when I write for my own blog, I probably go into more detail than I need to. When I'm writing for convert, I'm researching, in topic as thoroughly as i can i'm looking at what everyone else has got on the topic i'm looking at books on the topic like i buy five or six books on kindle every month to read on certain topics and things to to fully understand and comprehend because you can't write something in a simplified way unless you really understand it at a higher level almost you kind of you know you have to be able to fully grasp all the details before you can break it down in a way that your audience needs. Um, When I'm doing that for AMP, when I'm writing a blog post for AMP, I will normally do customer research and ask my email list. I am talking about this topic. What do you want me to cover? What is important to you? Can I get on a call with you? Especially if it's like a really detailed post that I'm going to write. The reason being, if I can connect the, and make sure that I'm not missing anything, it's going to make the article really good. But if I can also understand the pain points and the language that's causing people to be interested in this, that's really going to resonate as well because I can use the, uh, in copywriting, we call it mirror language. So um, if someone can explain a problem to you using the words that you use to explain the problem, you feel like they're in your head and it's the perfect thing for you. And sometimes you'll see products that are ideal for you, but you don't connect with them. So you don't, go with that. So I take a full on kind of direct response copywriting approach to content writing. So I treat it almost like a sales page. You know, I'm actually doing tests and stuff on it for some articles we will even do um, QA tests. So like, I'm looking after the fact once it's gone live to make sure uh, people f- are going all the way through it. Where are they bouncing off? How can I keep them entertained? How, you know, all different things like that. Buttons not being pressed. Stuff like that. So understanding the audience as much as possible at each point. I apologize. My cat came to the window and just tied waving at <laughs> me. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Cats. Um, so when you talk about understanding audience from a CRO perspective, where would you recommend someone start with? I know this is you know, what Convert does um and and helps businesses um let's assume someone watching this is is thinking okay how do i do that Uh, if i don't have heat mapping tools in place if i don't have whatever it is what would you say would be sort of the first couple of steps to get that
0: in place yep so um i have blog posts on this and stuff that i can share as well afterwards where we actually go through like different processes and things but really like if you're running any test any a b test You wanna find out what's working and what isn't working first so that you can have a hypothesis of what you think is causing the problem, how to fix it. A lot of the time you'll be surprised how the reason things are not converting is because buttons and things don't work and on different devices and stuff like that. So in CRO, we have two types of testing. We have quantitative, which is measuring the data, the numbers of actions that have been taken, which is what uh, Convert is. It's a quantitative tool. We're able to measure the response when people do different things. Then you also have qualitative, which is like hot jar and things like that, where you can install the code and you can see where your audience's mouse is going and things like that and what they're pressing on and, and when they leave. And you can give surveys and things. So you, ideally you need those two tools if you're going to run a test because one of them is gonna help you implement and make changes. The other one is gonna help you try and find insights, you know, um, beforehand. So I install those tools. I check that everything works. So you can also, the name escapes me now, but basically you can load your page in different devices and make sure, is it working on an iPhone 5? Because if you look at your traffic and 25% of them are coming through on an iPhone 5, but your buttons don't work, you know, like they're off the screen or something like that and they can't click. That's 25% of your traffic who can't do the job. So things like that, figure out what's broken first. And if it isn't something that's a technical issue, you know, it could be that people are not scrolling as far to see your button. You know, it could be that people, um I actually have a page that I just recently improved, and this is the exact same thing. People weren't scrolling as far to see a call to action, and it was in a blog post um, uh, promoting a course on how to get on podcasts as a guest kind of thing. It's a great way to get traffic, fans, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, People weren't getting as far as the button, and when they were, it was kind of blended in with the colors of my brand, and it wasn't clear that it was a clickable button. Now uh, I wrote an entire article on this on like images and buttons and how it can actually affect people's perception of how they see them and things. So that's why uh, back in the day you would just have like this flat 2d image. And then for a part in the nineties, they turned into these 3d graphic things that kind of flashed, you know, and now they're kind of a bit more subtle and they have shading and things. So they give perspective. So it looks like something can be clicked. And if you mouse over it, it, uh moves as well as so you can see there's an action to be taken all things like that which is just real small stuff that you can do to analyze and test okay is actually this the issue you then you can also start to look in is it the language i reviewed my audience and i uh, i got on skype calls with them i'm really sorry I can't keep scratching to come in <laughs> he's not going to leave either um <laughs> i got on calls with them and i was just talking to them and The goal of this product is I used it as a link building technique. So I took a blog from DA zero to DA 50 in three months, Mm. which is huge. Like some companies, some websites don't do that in five years, you know? And the reason being is that I promoted a blog post on podcasts. Podcasts are usually um, on powerful websites. Sometimes you can't get a guest post on there, but you could be a guest on the podcast much easier. Lower barrier to entry, things like that higher value you get people coming across i got client requests from a competitor to wordpress like like a big page building company and stuff like that um but the thing is the way it was worded the goal is how to get on as a podcast guest but they thought it was i'm a podcaster i have my own podcast how do i get guests for my show Mm -hmm. kind of thing so once i clarified that and found out the terminology they used and things like this i went from I think it was like a 2% click-through rate to something like 60% from roundabout. Oh, yeah. yeah, just because I, it was more visible, it connected with the audience, more people were seeing it, I brought it further up the page, things like this. All you're really doing, everyone assumes that CRO, because of the name, is about conversion optimization. It's about understanding the user and their experience and what they want. It's that more than anything else, and then conversions come from that, you know? Because you're providing the thing and you're removing the thing that's stopping them
1: yeah that that kind of goes to a project i'm working on at the moment where it's a website uh, it's a website redesign uh and we're having some contention around what do you name the menu items at the top right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your sort of where would you take that conversation is there a people are expecting certain things like an about page you know do you call it testimonials you'll call it praise do you, what what sort of, I guess, um, how would you
0: approach that uh, conversation with a client? For menus and things like that, there's certain pages that customers will always go to. They'll go to your homepage, your about page, because it, again, your brand, they kind of want to see who you are to work with you. Ironically enough, it's like usually the second highest traffic page out of like these um, generic pages that we would have, product pages and things like that. For some sites, unless you're doing a heap of traffic, you're not going to notice the difference too much in the names of like menu items or the CTA on buttons and things like that, usually. Unless like you've got a terrible thing and it's not clear what's happening. Um, For small tweaks like that, you're going to see the biggest difference when you're getting like 100,000 visitors a month and so on. Um, So I wouldn't worry about it too much. I would just test it with your audience and maybe do screenshots of each. And just ask people, you know it's not going to be a fully scientific test because you're not getting ten thousand people like responding to it and things. but f- you can get like an early gut reaction of what's going on um from there, and then you can always you know tweak it afterwards and things, but i would I would go with common terminology at first because hmm. people expect certain things in content writing. Uh, In films and TV, there's only seven archetypes. So in all films, all books, all stories, they all follow one of seven uh, archetypes, like the same plot beats every time, different characters and things like that. Some people think it's because um, it's the ideal way to communicate with people. Other people think it's just because we've always had stories like that in the past. So now when stories don't fit that, they feel off. So, like, when films, sometimes the pacing and things feel off or weird because we've missed, like, these different parts of the hero's journey or whatever, I have to assume that kind of thing relates to UI design and things like that to some extent, you know, especially um, if they're looking for something specific and they can't find it and they've got to click three different things to find it, you might lose them before that third click, you know. So I would go with personally, but – There's another thing in CRO, your opinion doesn't matter, the data matters. So I would go with something simple at first and then I would test it because all assumptions can be totally off. With paid ads, it's exactly the same. I've had an ad that converts way better with an image that was uploaded by accident. (laughs) Image, image, image about this blog post, image of me going for a hike, (laughs) converted the highest and I, I literally was going away surfing somewhere for the weekend saw that it was live and i was just like you know what i'm, I'm just gonna leave it when i came back it was like 14 percent click-through rate and the rest were two percent oh my god i was just what like oh okay so it's um they call it hippo highest paid person's opinion um you can you can't just take people's opinion you do have to have data of if you're early on you don't have a huge amount of traffic to test and things like that it's not a bad idea to take inspiration from sites that you know are already successful you know same for copies same for sales pages things like that and then test as you get better on the assumption that it's working for them it should hopefully work for you that being said mm-hmm. not everyone knows what they're doing so some of these successful sites are performing really badly even though they're huge companies because they've never tested and stuff but use it as uh the initial inspiration and then build from there
1: yeah that's a good point like i i've seen large brands like we're talking multinational uh and you're looking at their site and you're going like who the hell is like who approved that um you know but it's it's
0: (laughs) do you play computer games at all
1: yeah i do (laughs) have you ever played
0: final fantasy online Oh well, not online, version. but on the on the console. Yeah, yeah. So they they do like a PC version. I think it's mm-hmm. console connected now. If right. you go on that website, it is the worst designed 1992 website I've ever seen. And when someone sent it to me to play the game, I thought my bank account details were going to get hacked because it is <laughs> awful. Um, I'm going to try and find it for you. <laughs> uh, That's hilarious. I can uh screen share and stuff on here, yeah, right? yeah I should be able to just uh oh, they've actually updated it since then, oh well. okay okay, <laughs> but yeah, I logged onto it and it looked like something from nineteen ninety one and there was like yeah. flashing stuff in the corner, and there was images that were half on the screen and half off, and all this other stuff, and I was like, this looks like a super dodgy page, like if I had clicked on this, and it wasn't from someone I knew that sent it me, and I was talking to them at the time. You know yeah. i'd be like otherwise i'd message them and say hey is your facebook been hacked or is your like email <laughs> been hacked you've sent me this really weird link you know it's, um, it's a geocities yeah. page <laughs> yeah. basically yeah it looked like a, like an old tumblr page something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that <laughs> uh, yeah
1: classic uh, all right well let's let's just move over to content clusters and uh tell us a bit about what they are and and how do you use them and uh why do you uh what what yeah why do you recommend uh people look at building them?
0: So this is, um, it's for two things, really. It's for an SEO benefit. It's also for an audience benefit. So the idea of a content cluster, you can almost think of it, um, originally it was called like spoke and wheel, you know, like the uh, the wheel of a bike and you have the, the inner side, I mean, you have the spokes coming off it and things. Um, same for a cluster. So you might have an article that you want to rank for, that's maybe kind of a medium or a high keyword topic. And you want to build a lot of backlinks for it, things like that. You write this article and you create it as this pillar piece of content. Then because you can't cover absolutely everything on the topic, you create these offshoot articles that link back and reference this main piece. So if we had an article about SEO, and link building I might then have different articles that go into in-depth like case studies maybe or how-to guides about different link building techniques and these cluster articles usually can get a lot of backlinks and that feeds back into your main article which helps it to rank and so it actually gets more traffic that gets links it then helps the cluster articles as well so it's kind of like creating a mini library around a topic that all ties in together. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I wonder, if you, is there an example that you can pull up maybe on the screen or something where we can look at how that's been um, done?
0: People like Backlinko do this all the time. So Brian Dean. Yeah. Um, it's hard to, to find an example of one immediately. Okay, I can think of one for convert. So... Obviously, A-B testing is a big keyword for us. Uh, And I can screen share, correct?
1: Yeah, there should be a screen share button
0: on the bottom. Works best with two monitors. One am I rich? (laughs) (laughs) I just get distracted. All right, so you can see both of our lovely faces here. So this is an article for us. That is a definitive pillar post guide on AB testing. We're constantly updating it and things like that. If you look on the side here, this is a huge article that covers all different things about AB testing. Um, you know, what it is, what are the different types? What is AA testing? Um, an AA test is basically where you're testing the software to make sure there's no discrepancies in results. Because if you're testing two identical versions of a page and the results are different, that means your tool's not working correctly. So all different things like that that we have in this article in this massive, massive, massive guide. But because it's such a good resource on the topic, we will often link back to this again and again and again from different other articles, um, which then helps it to rank, which then helps it to get more traffic. So uh, it's what we've been doing for this. It's what we do for other articles as well. The idea being that we can then help our audience with this. But let's say that um, I wrote an article recently about image optimization, about testing, A-B testing, different types of images and buttons and things, like I said before. Right. If you found that, if for some random reason you found this case study and that was the first time that you found us and you were like, oh, wow, this person got like a 70% difference by changing these buttons and things like that. But you've never done any a b testing before the topic might be a bit high level for you or you want to learn more about it so actually linking back to this i guess you would say like this central core article actually makes sense because then they can come back and actually read more about it and go oh okay i can understand this stuff now you know um it, it makes total sense. And I can understand now about this image optimization and why they do that and so on and so on. But um, off the top of my head, I can't think of any articles that definitely link to this. Like I just wrote this one last week um, about landing page A-B testing and things like that. And I'm pretty sure that this article would probably link to that one as well. I would just have to find where it actually does it, <laughs> but the, we call it's we call that internal linking, basically, so um, you can one, you can help your audience by sending them to a resource that supports what you're talking about. It also helps it to rank. So if you've got one page that's got a bunch of links and this new article has nothing by linking to it, it helps this one rise up, you know mm. and, and get more search as well. Um, so not many sites do it that well. And it's crazy because it helps you so much. Like you can have this article that's been ranking for ages linked to your new version or new topic or whatever, and it just ranks almost straight away.
1: So if you were to start, say, say you were going to do that, you know, AB testing guide or what became this mammoth, uh, you know, 20,000 words, whatever it is, um, would you start with, so AB testing is going to be the keyword we're going to go after. Um, and then look at sub keywords to do the, the the smaller articles. Is that the way you would approach it, or would, is or would you be more organic around these are just questions that are coming
0: up from our customers or you know research? Oh, yeah. How would you attack that? Kind of all three, yeah, of what you said. So I would have keyword ideas that come up all the time, questions that come up all the time uh, from the audience, and also research that comes up all the time, like certain terminology. So keyword research is great, but keyword research is a secondary effect. Keyword research um, is basically us finding out how many people per month enter a specific term to search for an answer on a topic or to find something. In some industries, you will have particular things that people don't search for because they don't even know it exists. They don't know their problem or it's something that's brand new as well. So you don't always do keyword research for a topic because like we wrote an article about privacy and GDPR in A-B testing. That's not something that was a keyword at the time, but is now as people are starting to trend into it. So you need to have like your own business insights and things of that. You also need to do the research of what your audience, of what people are searching for. And you also need to speak and listen to your audience of what they're saying and what they're asking, comments in blogs, uh, on Quora, Um, things like that. Look at the questions that people are asking in Twitter feeds and stuff. Um, That'll give you a good idea. Now, as for what order to create the content in, really depends where your business is and what your goal is right away. Like if you want to start scaling up a lot of traffic, I would create the core post first, especially if you're kind of new in your industry, because it'll give you a lot of authority. You could write about, so AMP, even though we are quite a high DA site, there's no way I could rank for the term content marketing right now. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not really something I do. It's something I could go after later on. Instead, I start ranking for terms that are very core to what I do as a business. And they might take a long time for me to see traffic from. But by me talking about them, I'm seen as an authority in my space on that topic. If I didn't have that, um, people might not see me as big an authority as the people who do, you know. So even though that piece of content doesn't do anything for me as yet, I could start there. But that being said, you know, I. Okay, let me backtrack a sec. I would start there and then I would create cluster posts around different topics. I would fill in case studies. I would write unique data back guides that have a lot of statistics and things like that and really cover like the gamut of this particular topic. The thing is, if I wanted sales right away, I would probably write a case study first because a case study converts people so well, um, especially if you're a service business or if you're a product-based business and things like that, because it's, when done correctly, a case study is a transformation from A to B. Someone is in this point right now, and they're looking for that final push or support to help them make that choice and decision. So, although I probably wouldn't get a lot of organic traffic for a keyword around a case study, at the same time, it will make sales. So AMP... I have been working on our course and our product for absolutely ages. So I haven't looked at our traffic organically. I get about 50 visitors a week, something like that to that blog. The thing is, because of the assets I have on it, average opt-in rate is between 17 and 83% on blog posts. And then 42% interaction with emails, something like 18% of people who get to the sales page become a customer. So even though I have very little traffic, every asset on that blog right now is designed to interact, enhance, and make a sale without it being sleazy or anything like that, because that's where I started out first, because we're bootstrapping on that company. Afterwards, now I can create like a cluster post and link back to it from all these different articles, you know, but if I was venture backed or whatever else, and I wanted to just start making traffic and authority in the space, I would go for that big term first. And then create these. Hmm. Um, another idea. So I said before: if you've got an article or a page that gets a lot of links and you link to something else, it helps it rank. You can create data-backed guides, which are basically huge guides that your audience probably doesn't care about. But the thing is, your audience doesn't have a website to link to you. So Writing content for your audience all the time is not going to help you rank in Google. Instead, you need to write content that appeals to people who do link. So data back guides, statistics, state of the industry, things like that, they get a lot of backlinks. They might only get 30 visitors a month, but the thing is some of them can get thousands of links and they link to these other articles that your audience cares about and suddenly they rank really well. So there's different assets that you need content wise that are going to help you do the job. And a lot of companies don't understand this. They have content just for traffic or they have content just for links that appeals to the people who link, but not their audience or, you know, vice versa. They have these assets where they can get all this traffic in, but not do anything with them, which is just mad. It's like being in a massive retail store maybe and having like a a 15 year old trainee who doesn't even know the products or whatever, you know? so it's about balancing out the different things that you need
1: yeah i'm I'm glad you brought up the the point of creating content not just for your buyer or your audience like your, your specific buyer uh, because there's that distinguish uh, there, there is a difference between people who will read and share content versus people who will actually i'm reading because i'm trying to understand whether or not i'm going to buy your service mm. um, and so it's a sort of bringing that into the mix is quite important. Now, you mentioned assets, right? You talked about case studies being an asset. You talked about sort of data-backed guides. Are there any other kind of assets that that you you utilize
0: as part of the the funnel? Obviously, sales pages and things like that. I also create something that's called a pre-frame sequence. So in sales, you have three types of different salespeople. You You have people who don't even make an offer, which is those businesses that I was trying to help out with SEO at the start. Then you have people who make an offer. Then you have people who make an offer, the person says no when they try and find out the objections and change their mind. Then you have the most advanced type of salespeople who find out the objections in advance, bring them all up before they even make an offer, and then they convert even higher. The reason being is when you preframe all this stuff and you help them get past all these problems, not only do you remove all the objections once in advance, but you also get them ready to buy. So it's like making an offer straight away to someone and then trying to convince them all these things is really difficult. But if they believe these different ideas, then they start looking for a product that meets that and you offer it, it it absolutely does. So, um, for example, with AMP, my site is all about content distribution. The idea being that you can leverage content more effectively. At one point before Facebook went crazy, I was making $22 for every dollar spent by promoting blog posts to a cold audience Hmm. because the cold audience would read, they would go through pre-frame content. And after about two weeks, they would become a customer. I wasn't trying to convince them right away because the thing that I sell is possibly something they don't even realize they need at the time. Yeah. So after researching and speaking to my audience, The pre-frame is usually the first 30% of a sales page. It is helping them to understand what the problem is now, helping them to see a solution, getting past new objections, getting them ready for that thing. So with AMP, if I'm trying to get you to see the value in a program that teaches you how to distribute content, one, you have to understand that high volume of content all the time with no visitors and no traffic is not going to do the job. Two, once you realize that, it's kind of peace of mind because you can take five minutes, you know, and not feel flustered to try and knock something out every week just so that you've been publishing. But you realize it only works if the content converts. So you need to get better at writing. So I start to teach them that. I start to teach them basic how-to posts. Then, because it's getting better at writing and it's attracting people and, and it's resonating, they need to know how to make some kind of conversion. So I teach them how to lead capture as well. So now they understand that they don't have to be writing all the time, but they do have to be writing something good. And it's not that difficult if you take the time and do the research and archetypes and stuff. Then you can capture And then from there, you can start to automate sales and scale up and you can run paid ads to traffic because you know it converts at X percentage and things like that. That pre sequence gets them ready for the offer without me having to do anything. It's all fully automated, you know, and it's not upsells and downsells and things like that straight away. Instead, it's a sequence of conversations that I've had with my audience in the past that I'm letting my content do for me instead, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So pre-frame content, case studies, how-to guides, a data back guide, or basically like a really linkable asset, something that can get a lot of backlinks, possibly doesn't get a lot of traffic. That way you have sales covered you have authority. You can actually get further sales of case studies as well because now you've got social proof. Um, you've got content that brings in organic traffic that then filters into these pre-frame sale sequences. You've got content that gets a lot of backlinks. So assets like that. I cover all of this in this massive book, basically. <laughs> get it on Kindle if you get yep. it because it's like two ninety nine on Kindle. It's like $25 because they still print it out at this massive size. But yeah that Brilliant. those are the assets I recommend people have in for my cust- like for my students I always tell them to create a pre sequence first if I've got a sales page and a product that's already selling get more sales because if I teach you how to get 10,000 visitors and you still only convert 2% that's useless but if you mm. can go from 2 to 4% and the next week go to 10,000 visitors well now you've like not only has your traffic scaled up but you're doing twice as well from every visitor, which I've learned painfully the hard way. When I, when my article got 50,000 visitors in two weeks, at one point, I didn't even have lead capture on there. I mm-hmm. I didn't even go to publish the article. I shared it with a friend. He published it to Inbound. And when I woke up, it was just like... The website broken from the amount of traffic that was coming through and i hadn't converted anyone i was just like create a lead magnet quickly you know <laughs> and even then uh 300 client requests at ten thousand dollars each yeah
1: brilliant yeah so it was a bad mistake but one that was still profitable <laughs>
0: those ones that the what you learn from best
1: right yes absolutely um all right so we got Got to, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. You've shared a ton of gold on here. Now, I would be remiss to skip a conversation around case studies. Um, so you have mentioned it a couple of times now. So can you t- take us through um, just even that, The you know, I know Convert.com have a bunch of case studies on the site. Um, I saw those. Uh, can yes. you just take us through, I guess, how, uh, how case studies are being used um, in its marketing across all stages of the funnel? Because, of course, typically when you think of case studies, we're thinking of, that's the conversion point we're thinking of when someone is researching and ready to buy um but uh i understand that 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 you're doing it not just there you're also using it in different places can you tell us about that
0: um i do it slightly different on my blog compared to convert and again you have to test and see what works for you different industries and things like that in convert we use case studies mainly for bottom of funnel and we actually do them by working with certified partners and agencies who are working with clients and are using convert as an AB testing tool. And they're getting these results for them. And then we speak to these people and we create a narrative around it. What was the problem? Uh, what was the inciting incident? What is the results and then how it worked. Ideally a case study should always have some kind of transformation as well, where you're showing, the things that you worked on at the time because that creates a narrative structure and it makes the person in the case study the hero instead of you because no one cares about you they care about themselves and they want to see that person in that case study so that they can resonate and go that person's just like me you know this they have the same problems i have and they got the results that i want and i can see everything that they did wrong So at Convert, we do them mainly bottom of funnel, and we also use them as quotes and examples and articles, which is always really good, because then we can say, you know, MintMind's got this uh, result for their client, and we can use it to structure and build social proof in as well. Um, For me at AMP, I do case studies a little bit different in that I almost blend them with how-to guides. So... For so the article that did really well, and I kind of follow this structure anyway, is I talk about the person and the problem that they have, and how they felt before, because that's going to resonate with my audience. I talk about the results that they got. I got, I get past any common objections of like oh, I'm too scared to run Facebook ads or whatever. If that was what the case study was about, and but I don't talk about it myself. I say, you know, Mike was hesitant to do it because he'd run some cash before and he hadn't seen results and blah blah blah. And I use his actual language and a quote and stuff like that from them. Then I actually turn it into a how-to guide. The reason being, I can actually rank that piece of content as a top of funnel piece where someone is searching for a solution. The reason being, for a service provider or a product provider, like digital training and stuff, it works really well because I'm giving away 99% upfront and you can see it and say, that's amazing. I either want to read this article and do it myself or I want to do it myself, but I want more information. So having videos and templates and stuff, that would be really helpful or that looks great. I can see everything they've done. I don't want to do it myself. How do I hire them? And that's why I got so many client requests because they could see exactly what they were going to get in that. And that same article still ranks for those keywords and gets organic traffic and converts them into customers. So, It's like a blend between the two. And then that way I can be more top of funnel and appeal to people who are just coming in, who are looking for like answers or solutions or inspiration or insights. Um, but yeah, that's how it differs slightly. You do have to test it for different audiences, but it is vital that you create some kind of narrative. It can't be about my company did this and we got 12% increase and blah, blah, blah. And it's two paragraphs. That is, you telling people how awesome you are and saying that you don't care and you don't listen to them. You know, that's not going to work. If you make it all about someone else and make them the hero and help the audience resonate, they are really going to connect and share. And you can see this in for the life of me. I can't remember a guy's name now, John something. And he is a fantastic writer He's in a wheelchair. I don't want to define him as that, but I'm trying to think of who he is. He worked on, I think, Copyblogger and stuff years and years and years ago. But he wrote case studies like that where he contains a narrative and it gets like uh, 47,000 shares and things like that because it connects with the audience and they want to share it in a transformation. In paid ads, there's this thing right now called user-generated content, which is where, say you've got a skincare cream and you've got a customer who does a testimonial and they're just talking to their iPhone as if they're talking to a friend and you see the before and after that's almost a case study. Really. They're talking about a life before, there's a transformation of before and after, and it has the language and it has the narrative of how they felt that stuff gets shared like crazy. It costs nothing to run because like as soon as like the algorithm picks it up because of all these organic shares. Um, It's the same thing when you're writing your content, you need to be able to connect those two dots together you know
1: yeah now you i really like the idea of combining so the narrative with um the how to because uh, i see I, i've seen the examples that you're talking about where it's li- literally two paragraphs of you know the problem the solution come by our staff um yeah. and 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 they just don't resonate whereas we're i'm curious for the that the example you've given um how long was that that article? Like when you put it together, um, probably many, about five, six thousand words. Yeah, for that one. Um, and did you write uh, it in the first, like in the third person, or from the perspective of the
0: customer, or what was the actual perspective? So um, I explained the situation. I set the problem at the start of what they're dealing with, and I explained and I introduced the person and how they felt. Um, ideally, case studies. Sometimes they can be about you because you've got no alternative, You could, especially if you're like a marketing industry or something like that. You can say, I wrote this case study did really, really well. This is why you should write case studies like this, you know, because you've gone through all the details. But if you did one with a client or a, a, better yet, a reader who read your guide and took the action on it, that will convert way better because you're not putting yourself as the hero in that story someone else is. In that situation even then because they're not really writing it they're not normally writers and stuff yeah. it's kind of almost like an interview at the start of um hey do you want to do this thing i know you have this problem you've probably been putting it off let me tell you about this one person who did this and got this result so straight away you've got them hooked in and then i go through introducing the person the problem they had and how they felt the inciting incident where they didn't want to experience life like this anymore something has to change The things that they tried in the past, you know, because a lot of people will have tried things as well and they have common objections and then um, the results. And then the cool thing is this works even if you've tried this and if you tried this and if you tried this and it works because of these things and better still, it only takes X, Y, Z time. I'm removing all different objections that they could possibly have and I'm hooking them in once, twice, three times. Then I get into the how to post, which is like exactly how we did this. Mike started out and he had these things blah, blah 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 as you go through and you're turning it into a how-to post so it's got this volume to it now and it's a valuable asset so people will share it and people will link to it so now you've got social proof preempting and removing objections to a sale that's being shared and linked to you know and it's ranking for content and it's usually got a call to action in it and it's lead capture as well so it's all these different things are creating a benefit for people, but yeah. Oh, your mic is off. Sorry, bud. Yeah,
1: I was just I was just saying, um, how would you recommend the the actual title of, of the article? Because you're talking about content that typically a case study is. This is how X Y Z, you know, ten x there, whatever revenue or whatever it may be, traffic um but if you're ranking for a keyword or you're it's becoming more of a how-to are you now sort of starting from the perspective of what are people searching for and and should that be the title like how do you go about that one
0: um so what i will normally do so the keyword will be in the url because that's what google is looking for yeah so um let me share this one so this is a case study but it's not the best because it features me It would be better if I had an audience member instead. Um, All right. So this is a guide of, it's a case study into a how-to of how I was a guest on 60 shows in 90 days and how you can do the same for free. So I will will A-B test different headlines as well to see which gets most time on page. So that's like a really big thing that you can also check. Usually it's, do you have this problem? Here's this uh, result and a solution and how you can do it kind of thing. Again, you can even see this in here. i talk about the problem, the solution. I talk about the narrative and the inciting incident, how I wanted to get backlinks, um, the results that I've got so far. So you can see the before and the after transformation, um, all the different shows that I got on and so on. And then I remove these objections and I get into actually how to do the thing. So this here is um, a pitch for the product. Before it was right at the bottom of the page. By having it up here now, it's something like sixty percent more people actually see it. Um, yeah. So I can have yeah. that on it, and then I get into like the body content on there. But usually it is see the keyword is podcast guest mm-hmm. that I am trying to rank for. It's difficult keyword because. People, when they're searching for that, are either searching how to get guests or they're searching how to be a guest. So in reality, I should probably improve the introduction to say how it would also work if you wanted to get more guests for your show, something like that. So in that way, it ties into both people so that um, I'm getting all that traffic. But in reality, it's I'm talking about uh, the problem, the result, and what I got. So straight away, it's like there's a story there just in the title.
1: And how's this Uh, one been performing? When did you post this and how has it been performing for you?
0: This is the thing. Because I write high-converting content and distribute it, this is probably a year and a half old, if not more. I think the opt-in rate on this is 17% from reader to subscriber. And then it's not huge on the back end. It's about 5% of people who then go and buy the $7 course. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using it more as like an offer to kind of introduce people to the membership platform that I have right. um, as like a trial thing. So they can see the value in it because it's like step by step, like 45 lessons of like you do this, now do this, now do this. And you follow along as you're doing it and you're yeah. on podcast by the end. Um I've had audience members, uh customers do it and one of them they were on like social media today or something like oh, that, right? and it was the yeah, it was the first pitch they ever sent.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. I assume um, you've taken that and, and embedded that in the in the article somewhere. It's in the um, sales page now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but
0: I should update it so that it's on there. Yeah. Where are you at camera? The lighting is off. Yeah. Um
1: yeah. That's really cool, man. Like I think, yeah, I mean, that's a really good example and, and people can check it out. Like I've, seen, I've actually read that before, so that, that's really cool. There you go, right? Yeah. Um, when I was searching for how to become a podcast guest, that's how I came upon that. Uh, and you also mentioned just, I know you're, you're like the king of distribution, so when you did that initial case study that you know got you all the traffic, you mentioned, I think it was, um, I think, did your mate post it on uh, a site or, or you, you put it on, uh, it was it? growth hackers or somewhere uh it was put uh, on inbound so i don't
0: really really tell people this because it sounds kind of sneaky but when you want to grow on any channel it's so hard to do it on your own and the reality is it's much harder to grow when you share audiences or leverage audiences of other people who've already got an audience it's the fastest way to grow Paid traffic is just buying the audience of someone else. It's buying Facebook's audience. It's buying YouTube's audience, stuff like that. So I had built a relationship with this person on purpose because I like their content and I interact with them on the forum and things like this. But they also had a lot more clout there than I did. If I was to share that article myself, probably wouldn't have done nearly as well. But this person who's an authority in the space shared it because they loved it. And when I woke up because of like the 12-hour time difference, it was just insane like how much it blown up and all the emails and notifications and things like that um at the time so there's different distribution methods and traffic methods you've got like organic um google word of mouth uh, social paid social uh you know things like this but there's also working and interacting with influencers and getting them to Make your content succeed either by getting them invested in the content and wanting um, wanting to see it work and basically wanting to add to it and put quotes in it and stuff, or it's called the IKEA effect, where if you work on something, you value it far more. so this bookshelf looks good, it's awful, you know it's like two hundred dollars and things. <laughs> But it's awful i've even had to like screw extra pieces of wood in the back things like that this table is probably like a thousand dollars or whatever and it comes up and down by just pressing buttons and things like that Mm. if i was to move house and had to sell everything i would probably sell this at half price and that for about 20 percent off the reason being there's an emotional investment into this thing that i effort i had to put in and it's why they call the Ikea effect, like the things that you have to build in some way or whatever, or connect yeah. with you value more. If you can get influencers to feel that about your content they're much more likely to share it and want it to succeed than they are to If you just went and say, hey, I featured you in this, blah, blah, blah. You know, it takes longer, it's more effort, but you're building those relationships and getting it to work and like you're leveraging it far more this is a big issue that most people have is they don't distribution is seen as something to tick off and they just do it. And that's it. And then they're on to the next thing. But in reality, like imagine the Avengers came out and they only did one advert and it was in LA and nothing else, you know, in LA, it might've done really well, but the reality is they can keep promoting that and keep pushing it and keep going and keep growing and things. So it's, you can create this snowball effect, um this virality where you've got so many people talking about it, but well, now it starts to talk and grow on its own, you know? Yeah. A, l- a lot of people miss that. No, I, I'm a massive I, nerd you know, for this stuff.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. You, you, you got to do more Avengers stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I, just be aware of the copyright with Marvel. But, um it, yeah, like, I, I, I agree, you know, it, it's, to me, I don't see it oh, as shit. being tricky. I think it's that relationship building part is often skipped over uh it's it's really you know uh and that's why i say like for me i advocate building those relationships long before you're going to ask make the ask to to share the content Um, and also co-trading with the the influencer if that's what you're doing um you know and have them involved in the project not just at the end when you're like well i've just published this thing and i've mentioned you and and, you know do you want to tweet it out um and the thing that annoys me the most is i'm getting these you know on a weekly i'm sure you get these weekly outreach emails and they're like hey you know we've just done this cool guide on xyz and do you want to
0: you know, link to it on your blog. And I'm saying, you haven't asked me anything about me, right? No, and and it's nothing to do with what I do. My audience couldn't care less about it. Even if they do, and it is relevant, it's effort for me to go look at that and link to it. Mm -hmm. Everything, all outreach, all connections should be about, all sales is about the other person and how you can make it as easy as possible for them and understand them. Because if you can do that, so for example, with podcasting, I use it as a link building technique. One of the main things I will do, right now I am recording this podcast. I have made a note on a piece of paper of every asset we've talked about. So at the end of the call, I will edit out this video, save it as a backup, send it to you, send you links to all the assets and things like that. So when it comes for you to put the podcast together, are you going to do the one that you recorded this morning that has a bunch of stuff and there's all this effort that you've got to go through, or are you going to push this one live that's already done and all the stuff is there because of that, you'll go with this one, but I'm also more likely to get backlinks to like specific articles because I made your job easier, your life easier, stuff like that. It's not sneaky. It's about making your life easier and I actually benefit from it because of that. So many people, do podcasts without a call to action. So many people have blog posts with nothing to do. The traffic comes in, they read it, and then they go, Oh, okay. Or they talk about the next topic, the next conversation that they logically have, and they don't have an asset for it. And then they go to the competitor. So you've warmed them up, <laughs> made them want to buy a thing, and then they go, Oh, I just need to understand this thing. And they go over here and they're like, Buy it on there. <laughs> you yeah. know, and like, yeah it blows my mind (laughs) it's a
1: little yeah it's a little additional effort that you put in that the other people don't do um you know and like you say you make the other person's life simpler save them some time save them some effort um and and that's the 20 you know 80 20 rule that's 20 percent difference that's going to get you your backlinks get you your your authority all the things that you want um i love that love it all right we're going to wrap up daniel know we're a bit over time um and I appreciate you and and your cat joining us um right. wh- what's uh what's one book podcast or resource that that you you would say is essential for every marketer's toolkit
0: Ooh, for every marketer um I would probably say ogilvy on advertising or oh uh, the legendary one yeah yeah all my life in advertising actually so this one is by Claude Hopkins you can get a PDF version of this for free. Or oh, sorry, not my life, scientific advertising, because it talks about a lot of the topics that we've talked about here today and fully understanding your audience in a way from data, from a CRO perspective, the biggest companies in the world are data driven, which means none of the choices that they make are opinion-based. They're all data. How Uber, um, works of its drivers how they distribute everything all works off data points and all stuff like that instead of what's might seem obvious but actually isn't so Mm. understanding the audience and everything that they want is huge so scientific advertising go buy that i mean if you've got two dollars more buy mine
1: (laughs) i love it love it uh we'll definitely link to these resources um and a final question for you is what's one project that you're really proud of or you're
0: excited about right now Oof. i'm really trying hard not to like get straight into youtube i've bought um a fancy uh, like a canon m200 mirrorless wow. well, i've got always lights set up so i have one here just right now for, so i've done so much work on it and things like that because uh, traffic wise on youtube is absolutely massive and it's wide open for certain topics i'm really excited for that i'm not doing it until i've hit a different goal i literally write out my projects um have right. them here so this doesn't fall out and it's literally do this one first then do this then do this mm. then do this and there's a reason behind all of it i'm super analytical and things like that but the youtube stuff I'm so excited i've bought books on the topic and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying not to read them i keep seeing them on my kindle i'm like no because if i do that i won't get the blog post finished and things yeah youtube
1: super excited right. for it okay well yeah. we're gonna have to bring you back uh maybe in six months time when you you've perhaps gone somewhere with your youtube <laughs> right i've started for... running
0: paid ads on there which are doing oh, really yeah. well um oh, but it. organic youtube is something that i want to get into
1: yeah well i've got uh, i've got a contact which i'll connect you with um who's a gun <laughs> in the youtube world um and uh, you might already know him but um uh yeah definitely uh if there's any you need help with in that world when you're ready to do it uh, let me know all right i want to say thanks daniel Daines Hart uh, from convert.com and amp amp uh, my mm-hmm. com. Uh, go check out his stuff uh, and certainly it's been a valuable you know, insightful conversation appreciate you mate and uh, enjoy the rest of your time over there in new zealand see you later, buddy thank you yes. And for everyone listening and tuning in, uh, we've got in our next episode we've got uh, Amanda from Spark Toro. So if you've never heard of Spark Toro, you might have heard of Rand Fishkin, um, and uh, he's, uh, he's he's giving us Amanda uh, for an hour to talk about all the cool things they're doing with audience research. And that's they're yeah, really cool company. company. Yeah, nice awesome. people as well. All right, thanks everyone. Enjoy your afternoon evenings wherever you're tuning in. If you're watching the replay, hit replay, uh, and we'll get the links to you so you can check out Daniel's stuff as well. Thanks everybody. Ciao.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Authentic Influence Podcast at AuthenticInfluence.co.